We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, and we are back for another episode. We are coming to you live on YouTube at Oregon Football. Max Torres, hope everybody's having an awesome Wednesday right now. Uh, that's the current date, uh, Wednesday, July 27th, to be specific. Uh, but really excited to hop into another episode I am joined today by my good friend, Spencer McLaughlin. He is the host of the Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 podcasts. I got an episode that we just recorded earlier today, so it's kind of like a double dose of Spencer for me, um, but really excited to hop into this episode and, and talk some more Ducks. How we doing, man? Uh, we're doing uh, just dandy. I know that you uh, published this out as going to start at 4.15, and we're uh, just like ever so slightly behind that. You can blame me because I was eating croutons and watching the Mariners. No worries, man. Hey, it's I've uh, I've definitely been getting back into baseball a lot more. That was like my first love when it comes to sports, um, you know, growing up. And I actually stopped playing after uh, the eighth grade. Got into swimming. Um, so that swimming. Kind of, that's that, a that, weird that, jump. That's that, not that, a jump. You see, I went from baseball to golf. Both of them involve, you know, swinging something. Baseball to swimming. Oh goodness. Yeah, that was a, you know, it's kind of a random, you know, experiment. I think one of my buddies, he had swam previously and he convinced me to try it out. So uh, you got to try new things. I met some great buddies through that. And uh, it's a very unique sport that I have uh, a big appreciation for now that I didn't have uh, before. So that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, we're here to talk some duck football. Today, we're going to be talking about the defensive players that we think are primed to break out for Dan Landing and the Ducks this upcoming season in 2022. If you guys haven't already watched or listened to the previous episode where I went very in-depth on the offensive players I think are going to break out this year, definitely go back and listen to that. You can find that on my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus, and you can also find it on the podcasting platform of your choice. So with all that being said, let's get into it, Spencer. What do you think? Uh, you ask for my uh, my first breakout player candidate on uh, on defense this year. Uh, I was kind of just saying we should get the show going, but we, you, you can you can start with your guy if you want. Yeah, I I think there are a number of directions you can go with guys who are who are poised to to break out, so to speak. And I think the name at the top of the list is someone who I was talking about on a recent episode of uh, Locked On Ducks, and that's Justin Flo. And I think that. It's a little bit different when you're talking about breakout stars to mention a guy like Flo, who's already been on campus for two years, and we kind of know what he can be, but we haven't seen him play really at all. <laughs> I mean, he had he didn't play as at all at his uh, his true freshman season in in the COVID year, if I remember correctly, because he got one injured. Game. Did he, did he even play just, in one just one, one game. game? It was in a special teams role, but goducks.com yeah, says exactly. One game. So he didn't he didn't really do anything there, unfortunately. And then he got hurt again last year, and now he comes into his third year, and he's played in two or three college football games, and he's a preseason All Pac-12 second team uh, nominee by by the Pac-12 media members. And I think that's telling to the, the sort of potential that he has. And at the linebacker position, he can be just an absolute game wrecker. And it's really unfortunate that we've missed two seasons of him. And I, I hope that we're going to get a healthy one 
this year. Uh, that's just a lot of finger crossing at this point, unfortunately. But if he's healthy for an entire year, I think you're going to look at him and uh, very quickly put him in the same category with Noah Sewell as guys who, who are first round NFL talents. And so he'd be my number one choice uh, from that standpoint. Again, not a totally traditional pick because we know that he he's capable of being very, very good. Uh, but outside of that, I, I'd look in, in the secondary on the back end at a guy maybe like Triquez Bridges, who, who's gone back and forth between corner and safety. It is now back to the position he was uh, recruited at when he initially committed to the Ducks under the previous administration. I, I think those are two guys who you know should really have opportunities to to play a lot of football and, and play very well. And I like uh, different things about them, but Flo in particular. If he is healthy for an entire year, I mean, it, it could be, you know, just constant Twitter highlight material. I mean, he, he's that sort of player. I remember one of his high school highlights was him, you know, hitting a running back in the hole, picking him up and just throwing him on the ground like a rag doll. And I had never seen that before from a linebacker. He's uh, a different sort of guy. And Mikey G is right. All gas, no breaks. And that's the sort of player he is. So. I hope he's the breakout star we talk about as the season goes on, because I think that that's as good of a linebacker tandem as you're going to find in the country. And you pair that with Dan Lanning, who knows what to do with linebackers who can play uh, around the line of scrimmage, but in coverage as well. I think that that's a guy who I would really love to see have a big time breakout 2022 campaign. Yeah, let's stay on flow and kind of just go player by player and do some back and forth there as we, we work our way through this roster. Uh, so for Justin Flo, I, yeah, he, he was right at the top of my list. Um, it almost feels in a way like he kind of broke out just because the one game that we saw him play was so phenomenal. Uh, 14 total tackles, uh, tackle for loss, forced fumble. Um, and then he got he got freshman, Pac-12 freshman of the week honors in, in that game against Fresno State. But Definitely had, uh, you know, his fair share of uh, injuries since he got to the college level, which is a bummer. Keep in mind, this is the second highest rated commit ever in Oregon football history, yeah. <laughs> trailing only Kayvon Thibodeau. Thibodeau is 9987 and Justin Flo is 9967. Um, so he's right on the tails there, the tail of Thibodeau there. Uh, nice little alliteration for you. Um, but uh, this is also someone who won the Buckus Award in high school, coming out of Upland in 2019 as a senior. I think I could probably confidently say I've so I've been covering Oregon recruiting for like, you know, three, four years now. I can pretty confidently say that there's no single player whose high school highlights I've watched as many times as Justin Flo. Um, the, the dude just plays like a guy who is absolutely possessed. I know Tosh Lapoy was saying in the spring when they were trying to work him into some drills. He was in trainers for the entirety of spring practice. And for people who don't know what that is, it's like, you know, it's a flat shoe that uh, doesn't let you grip the ground like cleats do. So he, he wasn't, um, he wasn't padded for most of most of spring. Actually, I think he, he was padded, but he wasn't, they were just limiting what he was going through. I remember in one of the last practices that was open to the media, we saw him kind of flying around and, and getting involved in some 11 on 11, the fastball drill is what they call it. Um, so then that kind of led people to believe, okay, are we going to get to see him finally in the spring game? But I think the staff really made the right call there, dialing it back. Um, Tosh Lapoy was talking about how it's it's kind of hard to tell him to slow down because he only has one one mode and it's go go go. Um, but but yeah, for for Oregon to really take that next step as a defense, I think having a tandem like Sewell and Flo is definitely going to take them a long way. Um, those are going to be two of the best run stuffers I think you see in the Pac-12 uh, if we do get to see Flo, uh, you know, for a full season. And I think that he just embodies that swagger, that nastiness, um, just, you know, that beast mode that you want to have uh, on defense. And then certainly, you know, kind of, a, I don't want to say second in command, but it feels like this is Noah Sewell's defense going into 2022. He is the face of the defense, but to have a guy like Flo that you could put alongside him would, would be a pretty scary combo. Yeah, I, I agree that Sewell's a clear number one. It's really been his defense, I think, for uh, the last couple of years. I remember when he got on campus and started playing as a true freshman. You know, I, I just I remember uh, saying to a friend of mine who I was watching a game with, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that Noah Sewell isn't our best defender on the field outside of Thibodeau. And I think that that was 
uh, unquestionably true because he's everywhere and they're both just heat seeking missiles. I think the only guy whose high school highlight reel for for Oregon commits all time would be as viewed as Justin flows or at least at least on that sort of excitement level would be DeAnthony Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, on the other side of the ball, I, I think you're certainly looking at flow as, uh, you know, the 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 bit the best high school highlight reel package on the defensive side. But I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, didn't didn't point out DeAnthony because his his high school highlights are pretty awesome. His college highlight reel is arguably even better. Um, he's just got so, the you know the play with Washington State and and all that. But um, I, I think those two are just. Uh, Sewell and, and flow that is just such uh, a versatile dynamic you know they're they're, they're not like uh, a, a Troy die who was an outstanding player don't get me wrong I mean I would take Troy die as my middle linebacker on any team unless I also had Noah Sewell as as an option in which case if I choose I'll, I'll take Noah Sewell there but Die was a guy who was, you know, on the smaller side, kind of made it work being undersized. You know, Joe Walker was kind of that way as well. I think Die was actually a, a touch smaller than Joe Walker was. But what these guys have is they have that big size, but they have the speed to go with it. And, and that's what makes them such tantalizing prospects for, for the NFL because they, they are, are big enough to, to be able to withstand hits, take on blocks, drive guys backwards, but they also have the speed to to go sideline to sideline and i'd like to answer gerard's question here uh in in the comment section and by the way ask uh, ask away he said given lanning's reputation and success see last year's nfl first round draft they had five players taken there 15 total no matter how good of a season flow has wouldn't it make sense for flow to stay one more year under lanning i think if he's healthy I don't know that it would make a, a ton of sense. Like, can you grow as a player? Yes. But if Justin Flo is healthy for an entire season, he's the sort of player I, I think we all suspect that it is going to pop immediately, right? The way that, that Kayvon Thibodeau sort of did, where he's just making an immediate impact. He's everywhere, putting up really great stats, and you see the physical traits and everything is there in place. And so... Yeah, he, he can always develop because he hasn't played a lot of football if he were to stay another season. But given his injury history, I don't think that would be particularly likely because, you know, you would risk getting hurt again. And, and after two injuries in college, if you, you know, potentially add a third to that or just the possibility of it, I think he opens himself up to kind of a Nicobe Dean situation where he falls in the draft. And yeah, he'd still get taken for sure. But if he has a full season where he stays healthy, it's going to be hard for NFL draft scouts to to let him go, I think, beyond the second round, frankly. And that's a, a pretty good place to be. So I, I understand where you're coming from with, with that question. And like from, uh, you know, from the standpoint of becoming the most well-rounded player you can and get the most coaching you can before you go to the NFL, it would make sense in that sense. But on the whole, you know, him doing what, what is best for his professional career, if he's healthy for an entire season, then I, I think he will explode. I think he'll be an absolute monster and that it'll make sense for him to go uh, to the NFL. But I think the way that we would get him back for another season is actually not what I would prefer to have happen. And that's if he has, you know, a minor injury here and there, because maybe his mindset then is I need to show the NFL draft community that I'm capable of staying healthy for a full season, because that's something that is very, very much taken into account by by drafts and GMs and coaches in uh, the National Football League. So I hope that doesn't happen. I, I hope we get a, a full season of Justin Flo and he has. Uh, you know, however many hundreds of tackles or, or something and some sacks and big uh, momentum shifting plays, highlight reel hits and all of that. Um, and it's, you know, disappointing that we, we might may only get one season of it, but I'd rather have it in full this year and, and maximize his impact on Oregon's ability to win this year than, you know, have him for seven games or so and and then, you know, have him back. But he he's battling injuries again. Yeah, it's, it's a unique situation with Flo just because we've seen so little of him, but he came to Oregon in the class of 2020, so he could technically take that leap to the NFL after just one full season uh, at Oregon. Uh, I guess full season or not, if you wanted to after this year, he could at least try it. Um, but I think that is what makes it such a unique deal because, 
you know, the, the, the brand of football that he plays is just someone who's so willing to put their body on the line for, for their team and to just play a really violent brand of football. And, and you know, occasionally that'll lead to injury. Um, so I think you, you hit the nail on the head as far as um, it just kind of makes sense, I think, for him, for him to leave if he were to have a really strong season. But I know selfishly from the Oregon perspective, you'd probably want to get him back for another year. Um, so I kind of see what Gerard's saying here about, you know, staying yeah. one more year to, to get developed. Um, but at the same time, he was someone who came to Oregon, came, he came to Eugene, just so college ready already. Like he doesn't need his body to, to mature and develop. Like maybe some of these other linebackers do that have come to Oregon. He's someone that I think is, is, you know, ready to play from a physical standpoint right now. Now in 2022, we got to see, you know, I want to be looking for, you know, some of those, you know, what's between the ears kind of plays, you know, how is he, how is he reading the offense? What does his anticipation look like? Is he able to move well enough in coverage to keep up with, you know, the occasional running back uh, or wide receiver? Uh, How does he cover tight ends? Like some of those questions I think is what we're going to be looking for uh, to see kind of if he is ready to take that next step because the, the brand of football he said he plays, like I said, is just, is just so violent and I think that uh, that's what people want to focus on. But you really want to see that maturity from, you know, a leadership standpoint and then just making the right play, the football IQ play, just being there at the right time. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing on this and then uh, we can move on. He is unique in the sense that he can have just one full good season and then be a, a high round NFL draft pick. Most guys I'd say are not like that. Cause I, I tend to be of the mindset that it, it's better to stay another year. If you're, you know, looking like a, a mid to late round pick, or you might not get drafted or, you know, there's still more ways you can develop like a, a Mikhail Wright, for instance, I, you know, definitely thought he would get drafted and a number of NFL draft people I talked to thought so as well, including Mel Kuyper jr. But I, I think that that's a guy who you look at and go, all right, I understand why he's leaving, but I really feel like he could benefit from another year. But he was not so physically ready at, at a position that demands physical preparedness and Flo's body is so unique and he's so gifted in that sense that he's able to just, you know, go out, put it on the field for for one full season and then be able to make that jump. Whereas most guys would have to would have to develop would have to grow would have to you know maybe get in the weight room a, a little bit or just get accustomed to the power five level to be able to make that leap but flow is is unique in that sense there are not a lot of guys where i'd come on here and say he just needs to show one full season and then he'll get drafted in, in the nfl uh but he is he's that sort of physical talent all right so justin flow is leading off our list of uh, potential breakout candidates for the oregon defense in 2022 I'm going to go ahead and tackle the next one, uh, bring this guy to the table, so to speak, in the conversation, and that's DJ Johnson, outside linebacker for the Ducks. Uh, played both ways last year uh, as a tight end as well, but we really saw him step up uh, as a pass rusher, as an edge guy, um, because Kayvon Thibodeau got hurt, and then it looked like they were trying to get him more involved on defense, and, and now he's going to be full-time defense heading into this season. That's what it's looking like. I remember Tosh Lapoy was saying, you know, once he got the job and he was getting a good feel for the roster, he, he, you know, you know, he met DJ, he got to know him a little bit, got to see what he was all about. And he was saying, that's a guy that's playing defense. Like as long as landing lets me have him for, for defense, then, then I'm all for it. So I think that uh, it's probably a little bit unrealistic to say that we uh, think that he's going to fill the shoes of Kayvon Thibodeau, but at the same time, He's that kind of a caliber of player, Spencer. He, this guy had about every offer you could think of coming out of high school, out of the Sacramento area, um, before he went to Miami and then came over to Oregon. I think the athleticism that he has, um, just the, the physical hands that he has, um, I think we're going to look to see if he can develop some more pass rushing moves. I think this is an awesome move for him just to focus on one position solely for the 2022 season, and he's got a great coach that can coach him up whether it be LaPoy, his position coach, or Lanning, uh, who worked with, I believe, the outside linebackers or the linebackers at Georgia as well. I think that uh, that all kind of just sets the stage for a big breakout year for Johnson, and man, they're going to need him. They, they definitely will, because that that edge position and uh, getting after the quarterback, I think, is probably the biggest weakness for this defense going into uh, 2022. 
unfortunately, I think on the whole, when you look at the caliber recruit that DJ Johnson was and the physical traits he possesses, because he kept going back and forth and had to out of necessity, you know, I remember after the spring game coming on my show and asking the question, like, well, why the hell was that guy ever playing offense? And then I thought back to, oh, yeah, there were just so many injuries there that, that he had to, right? That was out of positional necessity, and he did that very well. But I think what he lost there, getting all those reps on offense, not just in games, but in practice as well, is the ability to fully develop and reach his maximum potential as a player on the defensive side of the ball. Because think about Kayvon Thibodeau. When he was a freshman, my friend and I used to joke about this all the time. Whenever it was third down, you were watching Thibodeau, seeing if he could get to the quarterback. But he had like one move, really, right? By by the end of his freshman year, he was starting to develop a little bit more. But by his third year, Thibodeau had an array of moves. Now, he still needs to develop that more in the NFL, according to, to NFL draft analysts, to really reach his full potential. But he was a different more well-rounded, more balanced player, more versatile player by the time he had been playing defensive end for three years than when he first got to campus. And so I think that's what DJ Johnson ha- has missed here. And hopefully, you know, this new coaching staff can can work with him and help him get closer to that ceiling. But I, I think that because he had to spend that time at tight end because of uh, because of attrition within the Oregon football program, it was something that that ultimately you can look at and say might have held him back a, a little. He could still be a good player this year and, and rack up some sacks, but I don't think that you know compared to the the sort of player he was coming out of high school and the way we would have talked about him back then if we'd both been having our shows, but that was so long ago that uh, I didn't even know who you were and uh, nor you me. And so I, I think that we would have talked about him as a guy who like, oh, is he going to be, you know, our, our best defensive end player or is he going to you know lead our team in sacks because he was that sort of recruit and he has those sorts of physical traits. But if you aren't getting all those reps in the game, if you aren't getting all those reps at practice because you're working on the other side of the ball, I, I think it limits your upside on uh, on either particular side. Doesn't mean you're not still bringing value, right? He, he has done a lot of great things for the Oregon football program, but I, I think that that is is why he's you know been good. But I think he had the potential to be great, but he had to go back and forth, and, and that held him back a bit. Yeah, and and he's someone who showed up when the Ducks needed him most last year namely in that Ohio State game. I mean, the the Ohio State game was a really good game for the Oregon's offense, but I feel like C.J. Stroud had all the time in the world to, to, you know, sit back and and, and process in that game. But D.J. Johnson was was, – was someone that was responsible for one of just two sacks, I believe. I think Braden Swinson was the other guy who got the sack in that game. So they weren't, and they weren't till late. They weren't till later in the game either. I don't think DJ played a ton on on defense in that game. He did at the end. He was mostly playing tight end. But uh, your point is well taken that there was no pressure on CJ Stroud. Yeah. So, and I think especially, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't play in that game. But this kind of goes into uh, a previous story that I wrote for Ducks Digest, just about three ways the Oregon defense can grow next year. And I think that's just developing not only a consistent pass rush overall as a defense, but multiple guys that are capable of rushing the passer. Cause I think there were numerous times last year when you saw some opponents that just doubled KT and then they were basically saying, okay, make someone else beat us and get to the quarterback. And, and more often than not, Oregon really wasn't getting to the quarterback um, or they were getting really close, but they weren't finishing plays. So I think finishing plays could be another thing that they really need to focus on growing in uh, 2022 to ultimately get the most out of this defense. And that's, I think one of the biggest, uh, you know, to do list items for this new staff, because uh, there's so much untapped potential on the defensive side of the ball right now. Um, But fortunately for Oregon, they, they didn't lose too many key pieces up front other than uh, of course, Kayvon. They do have some youth in the secondary that I'm I'm sure we're going to be talking about uh, later on in this one. I do want to get to a break really soon, Spencer, but is there any other final remarks that you wanted to uh, to make here on DJ Johnson as a breakout guy? I wonder how DJ Johnson and maybe Justin Flo will be utilized in the pass rush and kind of where they play. You know, how much Dan Landing, Tosh Lupoi want to move them around because both have uh, the physical traits to rush 
to try and get after the quarterback from the outside, from the inside, you know, wrapping around. I, I think that, you know, the way they're used it in stunts or delayed blitzes will, will be really interesting to watch. No doubt about it. So we're going to see what DJ Johnson can do for the Ducks here in 2022. We're going to step aside for those listening on podcasts for a quick break. Don't go anywhere, though. We have more Oregon football for you on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Ducks Dish Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12. We're talking about the breakout players for Oregon's defense in 2022. We just got finished talking about Justin Flo and DJ Johnson. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, Spencer, how about you give me your next guy uh, on the list for potential breakout? I'll go, I'll go back to the secondary again and – I, again, I don't know if it's the most conventional breakout, but I, I think that he's a guy who could really take a leap forward with with a great defensive staff, and and that's the most sure bet in the secondary. And I know there are a lot of questions over there in the secondary. I promise we will uh, get to them because I, I have questions about the secondary too. But the one guy I don't is, is Christian Gonzalez, who has put together a couple of nice seasons in, in Boulder with the buffs. He's still got his DB coach in Demetrius Martin coming over. Now he's got Dan Lanning and Matt Powledge and Tosh Lupoy in the fold, coaching him up as well. And their reputations are a uh, pretty well established in, in that sense in, in, you know, developing guys who are not just all conference, but all American caliber players, Matt Powledge coached uh, Jalen Petrie over at Baylor, who was an all American NFL draft pick. Um, I, I think Gonzalez can be the anchor of, of the secondary this year. And frankly, I think Oregon needs him to be that. But, you know, physically, he, he's got great traits and he's got some good instincts as well. He's experienced and that's not something we have a ton of uh, in the secondary, especially on the back end. Uh, you know, guys like Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill definitely experienced, but they're, you know, kind of sub package guys who will be on the field plenty and we'll, we'll see them. Uh, playing for the Ducks this year for sure. But if you're talking about, you know, just a base 4-3 defense, you're probably not going to have either Bennett Williams or Jamal Hill on the field unless maybe they want to have Bennett play free safety. But I think he's a little big uh, to do that. And you need a guy who's a little bit rangier to replace Verone McKinley. But I, I think Gonzalez is is the sort of guy who uh, who can really be that that clear number one corner and, you know, we'll see whether or not he moves around or if he likes a particular side of uh, the field. Um, but I, I really think that that he and and, and Dante Manning, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, can be guys that, that really, really pop in, in the secondary this year. And I think the Ducks are going to need that because uh, safety is a big question mark. Yeah, so it's interesting that you said that you think that you could kind of see uh, Christian Gonzalez as the, the anchor of that secondary. Cause for me going into the year, at least I kind of view Bennett Williams as that anchor guy because he's someone who's been at Oregon for a number of years and he's already performed at a high level at Oregon. 
but we just really haven't necessarily seen it from Christian Gonzalez yet in an Oregon uniform for that matter. But I think he's definitely going to be leading the cornerback group as the, the, the oldest guy in that room, the, the most experienced guy in that room. Uh, definitely played really well at, at Colorado. Um, I, another big thing that steps, stands out for him, so he played all, started all 12 games at cornerback last year, finished fifth on the team and first among DBs for the Buffs with 53 total tackles. And he also led the team with five pass breakups, um, which I think is something you really want to see from a corner, right? Because it shows they have good ball skills, good instincts, and they're a disruptive force in the passing game, which is something Oregon desperately needs um, because I just feel like their passing defense wasn't that great if they weren't. Some of that was scheme. Some some of that was scheme. You had DJ James and Mikhail Wright, and, and James was little inconsistent, and Wright was pretty darn good. But I think a lot of the reason a lot of the reasons that their past defense struggled last year was scheme oriented. Sure. And that's, that's absolutely a valid point. Cause I know I saw a lot of fans with some, some qualms about the scheme, namely in how much space the corners were giving guys yep. off the line. So I think you really want to just establish that physical nature, especially as a def- uh, secondary as a defensive back. But yeah, like what I was saying with that point about the the secondary, not really, the passing defense not really being that great unless they were generating turnovers. And that was something that they did at a really high rate early in the year, but then they battled some injuries. Kayvon Thibodeau went down for a bit. Bennett Williams went out for the season. Um, and, and that kind of just, you know, it, it, it showed that it was hard for them to get over that hurdle, I think, and be that consistent force that they wanted to be turning the ball over uh, as a defense. But another thing with Gonzalez that stands out, is he was third on Colorado with five and a half tackles for loss. So maybe we'll see Demetrius Martin, uh, be, you know, send him on some cornerback blitzes to to catch the uh, the offensive line off guard uh, out of position, maybe. Um, but he's a he's a pretty big defensive back. I believe he's you know six two in the air in the neighborhood of two hundred pounds. So uh, you know if that guy gets ahead of steam, that's that's not a small dude running at you. Uh, you know, looking to to knock you on your butt and uh, you know mix things up in the backfield. So. I think that'd be awesome if we could see him get involved there as well, rushing the passer a bit. Yeah, you know, and, and that's uh, one thing that I'm really looking forward to with regards to the defense this year is how does it look compared to last year? You don't have the exact same group of guys, but you have a lot of the same guys, right? Noah Sewell's there, Popo and Dorless are there. Your DBs are uh, probably going to be at the corner position, arguably better or at least they should be than they were a season ago. I think safety, you might take a, a little bit of a step back with no Verone McKinley. It'll probably be a significant step back with no Verone McKinley because he was certainly the the captain in the secondary a, a season ago. Uh, but but a couple of people have asked questions about Dante Manning, and I wanted to get to him too because I had sure. him somebody on the radar as Me too. you know a, a potential breakout guy. And honestly, I can't figure it out. I, I can't figure out why, like, we all see the same thing. He has not been what what he was supposed to be when he committed to Oregon as a five-star. I'm pretty sure he's the highest-rated defensive back to, to ever commit to the Ducks in the recruiting rankings. I couldn't tell you what hasn't clicked for him, but in the times where he's getting beaten, you know, uh, Mikhail Wright, I thought, took a step back in 2021 and got beaten some one-on-one situations. But sometimes the receiver was making a competitive catch over him, like uh, Trevon Bradford did in uh, in the game against Oregon State there to end the, the regular season. I, I think there were a couple times like that, a couple other times he got picked off. But Dante Manning, when he gets beat, man, he, he looks lost out, out there. And I can't explain that and the reason I've got some hope that he could break out this year is because he's got a new coaching staff and whatever was you know happening with regards to the dynamic between the secondary and the coaches last year and the scheme was not working for Dante Manning because he has uh, you know he hasn't made any big plays in his time at Oregon and you know as a corner sometimes it's good to not hear from a guy for a while because that means they're not targeting but I feel like Dante Manning was thrown at all the time. And there was not a time last year where, uh, you know, Manning, I felt was the best DB that Oregon had on the field. And and that's what he was supposed to be. And, you know, the question of uh, does he step up this year? I I hope so, but I I just don't know. For some guys, the light never goes on. I I mean, there's a jump going from high school to college, no matter where you played your, your high school football. And, you know, there, there's no rhyme or reason to when it doesn't work for a guy who, by all intents and purposes, should be a really good college football player. And Manning, 
could still become that, but I, I have no indication, right? I, everything I'm saying with regards to the coaching relationship and scheme, that's a hope because I, I haven't seen anything. He hasn't shown anything on the field so far to indicate he's going to be that player that that he you know made Oregon fans uh, excited about because he certainly hasn't been that and he hasn't even been on the field at all times. I mean, last year, he wasn't even one of Oregon's primary starting corners. Right. It was mostly Mikhail Wright and, and DJ James and Dante played uh, plenty. It's not as if he was never on the field. But if you had to give me uh, a, a moment to pick Oregon's best secondary at any point in time during the season, it probably would have been the four guys we saw often, which is uh, Verone. And I would have liked to have seen Jeffrey Bossett strong safety. And they used him at linebacker. He's a little of both, but uh, McKinley and I would have put Wright and James at, at the corners most likely because um, those are the dudes that that I trusted the most. So um, I, I would really like to see him take that step forward because it'd be big for the defense. And, you know, the secondary also is more about communication than I think any other position group, probably on either side of the ball, maybe offensive line uh, you could put in there. But when you're running zone coverage, you have to know exactly where, where your brothers on the back end are at and where they're going to be. And if Manning is not able to, to fit the way that, that he, you know, had, or if, if he looks the way that he has the last couple of seasons, I, I think that'd be kind of disappointing, but ultimately not surprising based on what we've seen. Yeah. And I, I think you make a lot of really valid points and, and I don't want it to come off like, you know, we're dogging the guy at all, um, you know, or just, you know, criticizing him a bunch, but I think that it's definitely a valid point because, you, you mentioned that he has seen the field a lot. I'm, I'm looking on his, his bio right now. Um, he played 258 snaps on defense, so it wasn't like he didn't play. And I think that what was kind of surprising is that that was uh, before DJ James really asserted himself as you know the number two corner. There was that battle between Dante, Manning, and Triquez Bridges. And then keep in mind, like we've already mentioned, Triquez Bridges didn't play cornerback in, in, uh, in high school, rather. Um, so... The fact that he was able to, I, I kind of feel like he quote unquote won the battle or was just playing a little bit more than, than uh, Dante was in 2021. I feel like that kind of indicates a little bit about, you know, where the staff was leaning about who they were a little bit more confident in, but um, you know, Dante has battled some injuries since he's been at Oregon did get dinged up in the spring, which was a bummer to see. Um, but maybe he just needs, you know, a little bit of a fresh start and, and maybe Demetrius Martin will be that guy that, that can get it out of him and uh, get to that, that next level in his game. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left, so there are some more guys that I wanted to talk to talk about uh, rather uh, on this pod with you, Spencer. So one guy that I'm going to point to next uh, is, is in the interior of the defensive line, and that's Keon Ware Hudson. Um, I think that he, he's someone who's been at Oregon for a while now, uh, kind of got banged up. I think it was his shoulder, I want to say. Uh, late late last year and um, definitely missed the, the the back end of the season. Um, but I think he, he's someone who's played a lot of snaps, played a lot of college football. So you're not going to have to worry about him kind of adjusting to the speed uh, of the game by any means. I think you're looking to see him work in tandem with, with Dorless and, and Sam Taimani, Jordan Riley, some of those other talents that they have Popo in the, in the trenches. I think that he's someone who's just really poised to, to take a, a, a big step forward uh, this next year. I just saw a tweet uh, earlier today about him training with Dorless in uh, in California. Um, but I think that he's uh, he's really got that NFL size that you want. I think he's approaching 300. I don't think he's a true three bills yet, but um, I would love to see him t- take a step forward as uh, someone who can kind of thrive under Tony Tuioti and that D line. Well, he won't be short on competition for playing time, right? With the guys they brought in, like you mentioned, Jordan Riley and uh, Casey Rogers from Nebraska. But then you've got Taimani, who was uh, also one of the more solid interior defensive linemen last year. And then you have Popo and Brandon Dorless, who are definitely going to be the starter. Also, real quick, uh, Andrew, if you're still watching out there, DJ James did indeed transfer to uh, Auburn. Uh, that that was our uh, unofficial trade package. It was uh, DJ James, uh, Jason Jones, and Robbie Ashford in exchange for Bo Nix and, uh, I don't know, cash considerations. But uh, <laughs> I, I think Keon Moore Hudson is a guy who, uh, you know, probably is not going to be able to crack the, the starting rotation on, on the defensive line. 
just because of the guys who, who are in front of him right now. But I was talking with uh, John Garcia earlier, the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated, who's great. I have him on my shows just about every week. And he does an awesome, awesome job breaking down, you know, where guys are at in their timelines and all that sort of stuff. And we were talking about how, you know, on the interior, the defensive line and on the offensive line, too, you don't have big personalities as often. You don't have divas at those positions, right? It's more about show up, put your head down, work hard, and just kind of get to work. And I think that on the defensive line, you have that partially because and guys are not quite as worried about playing time either because those positions get rotated in and out pretty darn often, right? So maybe you're not playing, uh, you know, the 30 snaps a game you would like to on defense. I don't even know what snap numbers are. I've never thought about them, frankly. But let's just say a standard one is, um, you know, 30 for a defensive lineman in a game and you'd like to be there, but you're, you know, kind of in that second tier. You're still probably playing 20-ish snaps uh, per game. So I, I think that even though there's a lot of talent in front of him, having some depth here, which, which I think Oregon definitely does because Taimani is a, you know, a, a guy who in the PAC 12 is more, more than talented enough to be one of your two starting interior defensive linemen, but he's probably not going to be, he's probably going to be a guy you rotate in. And at, at that position, you rotate bodies in a lot. I think Keonware Hudson could, uh, could have opportunities, but he's going to have to show it. Uh, I mean, Jordan Riley has played, I think this is going to be like his sixth season on a, on, on a college campus playing football. And Casey Rogers played a good amount of defensive line. And then he's got Taimani, Dorless, and Almavai all, all in front of him as well. So um, I, I'm with you. The opportunity could be there, but I, I wouldn't pick that as you know a lock for a guy who uh, is going to see the field regularly because I think there are just a lot of bodies in there who, who are going to compete for playing time. Sure. No, I, I think that that's a, that's a valid point. Um, that, that room is super loaded with talent in the trenches. Um, a couple other guys uh, I just kind of had on my list here. Um, one of them I actually didn't have, but I saw them in the, saw him in the comments uh, from Mikey G. Trevin Mai. I think he's someone that, that they're looking to take that next step forward with. And a lot of these guys, I think you could put them on the breakout list because for Oregon to take that next step, I think they need to go from having just depth, you know, competent, like, you know, good names that you can turn to, you know, highly rated recruits, what have you, uh, guys that have been around the program for a minute to dependable depth. That guy that if someone goes down, you can sub the next guy in and you have no worry in the world that he's just going to match that level of play or even perhaps exceed it. And then if he exceeds it, maybe he should be in the conversation for, uh, you know, starting uh, on the defense, but Trevin's a, it's someone who was really athletic coming out of Bishop Gorman in high school. Um, I think he was like 215, 220, uh, kind of a little bit of a slider build on the edge. Well, fast forward to 2022, he's closer to 250 now, um, and he saw a lot of snaps last year um, under Tim DeRuiter's defense. So I think that you have some really good pieces at the edge right now with, with Braden Swinson and, and Mace Funa kind of looking like your your main edge guys, DJ Johnson as well. Um, but I think that Trevin has uh, definitely proven that, that he should be in the mix there and uh, looking for him to take that next step. He's, he's kind of like one of those gentle giant kind of guys, I guess. He's just, you know, we've talked to him a handful of times, uh, the reporters and I have, and he's really softly spoken. But, uh, you know, looking for him to just go out there with, with uh, you know, some, some violent intentions on defense. Yeah, and you know, a couple names that should also be in this conversation when talking about the defensive line are our 2022 freshmen. And you know, I, I don't expect to see a ton from Sir Mel's or Anthony Jones, but uh, Jones is kind of a, a joker on defense to where he can play a little bit of anywhere. And you know, I think fall camp is really going to show us or give us an indication about whether or not either of them could could start seeing the field. But I, I like what you're saying about guys like uh, Trev and Ma'ai to, you know, be somebody who's there in case somebody goes down or just to, you know, sub out to to spell a guy, right? Because you, you got to have uh, th those those bodies who are there to support the guys ahead of them because, you know, a season ago with, with Thibodeau on the field, you always knew when he was on the field, but then if he had to come off for a play because of an injury, there was just this huge, huge drop off. And that's why it's important to recruit 
uh, you know, not just uh, talented guys, but a, a depth uh, of talented guys. You need to have players on your roster who can step up and, you know, have that production drop off from the first to second stringers be uh, at least minimal, uh, you know, or at least as minimal as possible. And I, I think Trevin Mai is, is a name to, to follow as well. Yeah, so we got Trevin Mai in the mix as well for a potential breakout guy. Uh, I want to stay with the linebackers for a bit because there are a couple names that I also had listed here that I wanted to, to make sure they got a mention, and that's Jackson LaDuke and Keith Brown. Uh, Jackson LaDuke has been at Oregon longer than Keith Brown has, um, but both those guys saw some snaps last year. Keith Brown saw some snaps in that Ohio State game um, because you'll remember that Oregon was was a little thin on bodies uh, after, um, oh my God, I'm totally blanking, Drew Mathis. Uh, there it is, uh, got hurt to start the season. So they kind of had to get creative. Brandon Buckner was another guy. I know I saw him get mentioned in the comments. Um, I think he kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit because he is a little bit undersized, but he's someone who can kind of beat you with his technique and he's super fundamentally sound that that'll, that tends to happen when you have an NFL, uh, dad coaching at the highest level. Um, shout out to Brenston Buckner. Um, but I think that, that Brown's definitely someone who could be taking that next step. He was very highly sought after as a recruit. He was an all American. And then Jackson LaDuke, um, I think that I liked what I saw from him because he, he was actually starting in the game down the stretch, I want to say. Um, but in, uh, you know, in the postseason media availability, he was talking about how he not only had to recover from injury, but he also had a, a battle with COVID. Um, so that's someone who's definitely been through a lot, whether it be injury or, you know, other factors that he's had to battle through. And uh, I thought he was kind of, he's really one of those solid guys that, that uh, Ken Wilson recruited out of the state of Nevada when he was still on this staff. And I think that, that he's definitely someone who could, uh, you know, make a case for, for some more snaps this year. And uh, I think really help them go to that dependable depth level from just the depth, the dependable depth on that two deep. I yeah, that. I liked I, I liked Brown coming out uh, of high school as well, and I still do. You know, he's not uh, as much of a speedster. You know, I think he's a guy who plays very well in a in a short yardage situation. I think from a physical standpoint, he reminds me uh, of Noah Sewell, but but not quite as fast. You know, Sewell can play sideline to sideline. I think Brown still uh, you know ha- has to work on that in, in a sense, but he's so big and he is just a really really thick body like if if a running back comes to meet him in the hole he's going to be able to to stand his ground and i i love the linebackers that are waiting in the wings for for the ducks once sewell and flow move on most likely both beyond uh after this year keith brown is a name in the class of 2022 devin jackson is a name mace funa could uh you know i mean he's an edge player technically now but linebacker ish they're listing jeffrey bossa as an outside linebacker who I'm a huge, huge fan of. I'd like him more at strong safety, but I, I just I want to have him on the field regardless. So I, I think that uh, Keith Brown's a guy that uh, he got hurt in that Ohio State game, uh, but he's somebody who you know is capable of going out there and I think just being rock solid. Harrison Tagger is another young linebacker name who uh, will, will kind of be waiting in the wings here once Sewell and Flo. Uh, depart for the NFL after this season. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when when attrition comes to your roster and injuries happen every year, right? When I mean, we saw it last year, um, because for that Ohio State game, Drew Mathis got hurt and Justin Flo got hurt. And that's why Keith Brown was on the field. And then in, you know, what is only a sick joke uh, by the football gods, Keith Brown goes into that game and gets hurt. And then the sicker joke was when Cam McCormick got hurt. That thing is just a it's not funny, but it's laughable as Mike Tomlin would say, like, it's just ridiculous how bad Cam McCormick's luck has, has, has been. He's of course on the offensive side of the ball, but when you're talking about injuries, you'd just be remiss if you didn't talk about him because he just has, has been through the ringer and you hope he can stay healthy and, uh, and make a couple big plays this year. Um, but I, I feel really good about the linebackers now and in the future. It's not something I've talked about a ton on my show because it's just been a position Oregon's recruited very well. I mean, Jeffrey Bossa is here for at least two more seasons, including this one. And then you got all the other guys that, that I was talking about. I, I think that uh, the defensive line, the secondary are, are much bigger needs to address for Dan Lanning and the staff on the recruiting trail. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I would, I would list Jeffrey Bossa here, but I feel like he kind of broke out last season as a true freshman was definitely one of the biggest success stories of that defense from a year ago. Uh, just two other guys to quickly want to mention, cause I know we're winding down here, Jamal Hill at safety. I think he could be, uh, in line for, for a bigger role this year. He, he really kind of, kind of came out, 
uh, welcomed himself to the college football world uh, in that sense against USC in the, in, you know, announced his arrival to college football in 2019 when he had those two interceptions, but he's been kind of quiet since, uh, since those, uh, you know, those games uh, a couple seasons ago. So I think that those are two other guys that, uh, that could definitely be in the mix uh, next year heavily in this, in this defense. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you there. And Gerard dropped a comment that said Harrison Taggart runs a, a 10.69 in the 100-meter dash, which is, uh, let's just say, very, very fast for somebody who is, who is that big. I, I don't know his time off the top of my head. I, I think Devin Jackson actually might be faster than Taggart. Both are, are, are speedsters, the linebacker position, but I... I, I'm very high on, on Devin Jackson. I can't wait until it's uh, it, it's his turn to step up and be a linebacker for the Ducks because I think I, I think he could be a, a really really big time player. Absolutely. So so much talent on that Oregon defense, and those are just some of the guys that we think are poised to break out in a big way for Dan Landing, Tosh Lapoy, Matt Pallage, and all those defensive staffers for Oregon. Before we get out of here, Spencer, where can people find more of you? At Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter. I also run the uh, Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12 Twitter accounts. Uh, those shows are available on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're about to go back in season, which means it will be uh, daily content five days a week and uh, sometimes more maybe once the season gets rolling and whatnot. And I know that there are some people in the comments like Mikey G who uh, listen to or watch you and uh, support my shows as well. And I appreciate everybody out there. And uh, Max, as always, it's good to hop on with you, my guy. Yeah, appreciate you coming on, man. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me at MTourist Sports right there on Twitter. Uh, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus. If you guys are here on the live show, do me a huge favor. Smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on future live streams. And what, what, do... what, one more one more thing. I got to toot my own horn here. Uh, Devin Jackson in the 100 meter. Gerard says is a 10.57. Like sometimes I'm good. Sometimes, only sometimes, but sometimes I get it right. There you go. There you go. All right. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't also pub uh, plug my uh, written publication. That is DucksDigest.com. And you can find the latest Oregon football and recruiting coverage over there, getting ready to ramp up with a lot of big visitors coming to town for Oregon this weekend as the dead period comes to a close. And then fall camp starting next week. So make sure you guys tap in for all the latest in Oregon football and recruiting. That'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.